Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today on the Monday broadcast. And we're going to take a little break from our Believe campaign, and we're going to talk about the subject of sin. And uh, don't turn that dial just yet. Hear me out. I, I want to give you the title of the message today, Sin, You're Not the Boss of Me. And so many years ago, there was a sitcom, I guess around the mid-80s into the early 90s, and it was called Who's the Boss? And uh, it was a great show, and I think it kind of reflected the transition that we have seen in our culture. You know, years ago, and even when I was growing up, my dad would go off to work every day. Mom would stay home with the kids. We had one car, and uh, we had to kind of shuffle things around if we needed to do something that involved going somewhere. And uh, my dad would come home about 4.30 or so every night, and uh, Mom would stay home with us kids all day. But we always knew when dad came home, he's the boss. And during the day, mom was the boss. But the ultimate boss, of course, was dad when he came home. But we see a transition now with so many uh, families having blended families. And so there's a lot of confusion now as to who's the boss. Well, that's why I want to talk to you about sin doesn't have to be my boss. As we think about sin, sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. Make you stay longer than you want to stay. And the wages of sin is death. And so let's talk about how we can realize that sin will not be your boss. And so this is a two-part message today. And getting back to that sitcom, Who's Your Boss? As I was thinking about that show, that show was on for a long time. It went from September 1984 to April 1992. And as we look at that series, Who's the Boss? It constantly ranked on the top 10 of the final primetime ratings between 1985 and 1989. And so you got a boss you got to work with, right? Everybody has somebody that is over them. And so maybe you're thinking, well, you don't know my boss. Man, my boss is tough. He's unfair. And I was doing a little research on who is the worst boss. Well, I found out they found a guy. His name is Mike Davis, also known as Tiger Mike. And uh, Mike Davis started out as a chauffeur, and he rose uh, to the ranks of a Houston oil company and a gas magnet, and he earned even a notary title as the worst boss, and not did he win that title, he also won the title of the world's grumpiest boss. Well, throughout his career, he would routinely issue grumpy memos to his employees. Uh, here's an example of one that he issued uh, January 11th. He sent out the following tears memo to all of his employees. And it says, I quote, Idle conversation and gossip in this office among employees will result in immediate termination. Do your job and keep your mouth shut. I was reading some of the other memos that he issued, and they are so tears, and I, I can't even read them over a public broadcast. But a month later, um, this guy also banned office birthday parties, and he sent out this following memo. There'll be no more birthday celebrations, no more birthday cakes, no more levity or celebrations of any kind within this office. This is a business office. If you have to celebrate, do it after hours on your own time. In another memo, he explained why he could swear, but other employees could not. This is what he wrote. He says in a memo, I swear, but since I'm the owner of this company, that is my privilege. And this privilege is not to be interpreted as the same for any employee. That differentiates me from you, and I want to keep it that way. 
There will be absolutely no swearing by any employee, male or female, in this office ever. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a boss quite that harsh or quite that difficult to get along with, but I want you to know we have an enemy. And the enemy is a ferocious boss. Satan is our enemy. You think about the influence that he has in our lives. Satan can take us to a point that we don't want to go. But thanks be to God, we are different, all because of what Christ has done for us. And so I want to read our passage today, and then I want to give you reasons why sin is no longer my boss, okay? Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be today and tomorrow in the broadcast. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse number 8, Paul is writing, and he writes these words, and he says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives for God, or he lives to God. Now, that's a little phrase, died with Christ. That little phrase is found seven times in the New Testament. And maybe you're wondering, what in the world does that mean? I died with Christ. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago when he died on that cross. How could I die with him? Well, that phrase, died with Christ, maybe we can get a little more clarification by what Paul says about that phrase in Colossians chapter 2. He says, if with Christ you died, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, you know, referring to the things that perish. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here, Paul is reminding us that we can try to put ourselves under a strict regimen, submit to the regulations, but we still sin. Why is it that we still sin? If Christ died to the elemental spirits of the world, why are we still alive in this world? You see, here we understand that Paul is reminding us that my home is no longer sin. And he's talking about dying to the influence of the world. You know, when the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about two things, and you got to understand the context of each to be able to differentiate between the two. For example, John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Now, that doesn't mean that he loved the world system. That doesn't mean that he loved what composes the earth. Uh, When talking about the elements of the earth, he was talking about the people of the world. God so loved the people and the people groups of the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There is very clear that God is not talking about the world system. He's talking about the people of the world. When we think about how much God loves us, he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die, to die on that cross so that we may no longer be a slave to that old system. Now, many times as we think about the power of the world system, we think about those who maybe have great influence and and great fame and great popularity, and maybe you have thought that maybe that's the secret of my success, that if I could get more power, more popularity, more success, then I would overcome the world. Well, Alexander the Great, he had immense power. He was able to conquer most of the civilized world. But when his troops were too exhausted to push into India, he broke down and he wept. Much power for him was not enough power. He wanted more. 
Well, how about Robert Louis Stevenson? Robert Louis Stevenson won fame as one of history's most beloved storytellers. As a matter of fact, even though you may not recognize his name, you know that he wrote such classics as Treasure Island and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But you know, in his last words, the self-composed epitaph that he had on his tombstone, these are dreadful words. He wrote these words and had them inscribed on his tombstone when he died. Here lies one who meant well, tried little, and failed much. You see, much fame was not enough fame. He wanted more. Well, there's another guy that I was thinking about. His name is Claude Bonnet. He's an impressionist, a painter par excellence, and he was very downcast in his life. As a matter of fact, he battled depression right to the very end of his life. He said these words, I always wanted to believe that I would make headway and finally do something worthwhile with my life, but alas, I must now bury that hope. You see, much success was not enough success. He wanted more. When we think about wanting more, this drive for popularity, this drive for success, this drive for power and prestige and and wealth, it is leaving us empty. Paul said to the Galatian believers in Galatians chapter 2, I'm no longer living in a dead man's home. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I don't you love that phrase? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. In other words, when I am identifying with the crucifixion of Christ, when I'm dying with Christ, I am no longer saying yes to me. I'm saying no to me, no to this drive for fame and success, no no to this drive for power. I am no longer living for me. I am crucified with Christ, but now I'm more alive than I've ever been before. Now I finally find a reason for living. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this body, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up to death on my behalf. And as a result of having a new home, I am no longer afraid of death. I don't have to be afraid of dying. I can overcome the fear of death. Paul put it this way to the Ephesian believers. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. But then it doesn't stop there. The next verse says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I have my home in heaven. Even though I may not take residence there right now, it won't be too much longer and I'll be there. As a matter of fact, death is always my ticket to get to heaven. And so I am ready to meet my Savior so I don't have to fear death. Death is really, for the believer, a time of graduation, moving up. I have finished my course. I have fought the fight, as Paul would say. You know, many people fear death. As a matter of fact, it's called a phobia that people have, uh, this phobia of the fear of of death or the dying process. As a matter of fact, it is so real that they've tried to come up with some ways to help you to overcome this fear of death. Overcoming the fear of death. How should I treat anxiety? So if fear of death overwhelms you, I hear some ways that maybe you can get some victory over this fear or be able to manage this fear. And I got to tell you that all these things may temporarily help, 
but they don't provide long-term overcoming fear of death. One would be, well, why don't you start exercising, right? Studies show that exercise can help to manage your anxiety. It may also help your body to stay healthier for longer, uh, which will increase your life expectancy. But how does that really help me with my fear of death? If I'm afraid of dying, it's going to happen eventually. Even if I exercise and if I take care of myself, that's a good thing. It might make me feel better, make me live better, but it still doesn't help me with that fear of death. Well, some says, well, how about meditation? Spend some time thinking about other things. Now, it's inevitable that that's going to happen, but just don't think about it, right? Have some philosophies that you can think about. Uh, have, uh, find a sense of peace, right? Go to your happy place, right? And that will set you free from worrying about the fear of death. Now, meditation is a great way to employ some maybe breathing techniques or other tools uh, to keep quiet. And, and I remember when, uh, when my wife and I were going to have our first child, right? We went to these Lamaze classes. And uh, these Lamaze classes were designed to come up with different breathing techniques so that when uh, the labor pain was intense, you know, you could do some deep cleansing breathing and it would help hopefully to, to get through. Now, I don't even know if they offer Lamaze classes anymore, uh, but I, I can tell you one thing. When I was there with my wife in the, in the labor and delivery room, uh, I was not thinking about my deep cleansing breathing. I was thinking about how in the world am I going to get through this? How in the world is she going to get through this? So I did a lot of praying in that labor and delivery room. So, so But some people say, well, meditation might help you. And, and others would say, well, if you got this fear of death, why don't you try some talk therapy? Get some support. And uh, since it's inevitable that you're going to die and it's creating this source of anxiety, uh, talk to somebody about it, right? You know, get a therapist or a close friend or a family member, and uh, they'll be a great resource in, in helping you to vent your feelings and find somebody that you can trust. And, and uh, you know, you know there, there is some measure of success with this as as a matter of fact, I have this this fear of flying, right? And and it's not that I that I'm afraid of flying. I, I'm I battle claustrophobia, and uh, you know you get in a plane, and, and there's nothing more than this this big tube that's closed off, and you're trapped in there, right? And so I discovered how I can uh, I use a little bit of talk therapy to help me when I'm flying, and so I always have somebody sit with me. And uh, so I remember uh, we were taking a group from the church, there's about 20 of us uh, that were flying uh, from Norfolk to Chicago, and uh, we were flying to O'Hare. And I, I guess it's about, it's, it's under a two-hour flight, uh, maybe an hour and 45-minute flight, and a uh, direct flight, and I wanted to get a direct flight so that I wouldn't have to uh, go through the flying experience twice in one trip, uh, get it over with, right? And, uh, and once I get in there, I'm usually okay, uh, but I had one of our teenagers, Tyler, was with me. And uh, Tyler's a great guy. He's a, he's a very compassionate young man. And, uh, and so Tyler was my, my passenger next to me. And, and I tell you what, I talked to Tyler that whole entire flight. Uh, from the time we went through our check-in and, uh, you know, I got my tickets and I said, look, Tyler, you're sitting right next to me. And, uh, and so, you know, Tyler wanted to get on that plane, put his earbuds in and just kind of zone out for the hour and 45 minutes uh, of that flight. And he loves to fly. Uh, for him, it was a great time to rest, a great time to relax. But he was sitting next to me the whole time and I was exercising talk therapy. And I talked to Tyler for that whole hour and 45 minute flight. Well, I'd never seen a young guy 
get off the plane any faster than he did. By the time we finally landed in O'Hare, he was ready to get off that plane because he was sick and tired of me talking to him and talking to him the whole entire flight. Uh, and so on the way home, I had I had somebody else to be my partner to help uh, as we flew back to Norfolk. And so talk therapy and support, well, that might help you a little bit. Uh, some says, well, why don't you change your habits, right? Explore what triggers your thoughts about death and, and how you end up having these thoughts can be a great way to notice these patterns and avoid them in the future. Well, it may make sense to avoid these triggers altogether, but knowing they exist will give you this urgency when they occur in the future. So change your habits to, to avoid certain places that will trigger these thoughts. Like don't go to funerals. By all means, don't go to funerals because you don't want to be having to confront death. Uh, and some says, well, learn to spot when you're getting anxious, right? Uh, if you feel those feelings come uh, in, your, in your life and uh, you, you kind of kind of feel like this, this anxiety that's beginning to spiral in your life, uh, and then get the help as soon as you feel like you you feel like this is happening to you. Some say just the opposite. Some say, well, maybe the best way to overcome the fear of death is exposure therapy. You know, spend time, uh, for example, like if you're afraid of spiders, spend time with spiders is a great way to address your fear. And so instead of avoiding go to funerals, well, just go to funerals and go to as many as you can so that you'd be more comfortable being around those who are dead. Exposure to death doesn't have to look like a, a de- necessarily a near-death experience, but just go there and have conversations about death and go expose yourself to funerals and, to, and talk to people who have lost loved ones. Uh, well, some people say, well, if you've got a fear of death, maybe you need to uh, seek some professional help, right? Get help for that anxiety. And, uh, and that help can take on many forms, but uh, talk to a healthcare professional and uh, maybe they can give you some help and uh, maybe they can provide some support. Uh, some says, well, get some therapy, right? Uh, once you have begun the process of professional support, uh, you know, be, be directed towards psychotherapy and, and therapy for anxiety. And it's very common uh, these days and days. As a matter of fact, they actually have a form of behavior change, which is called cognitive behavior therapy. And maybe that will help you to overcome your fear of death. And then if nothing else works, okay, the last thing that you may want to consider is medication and have some medication so that you can help navigate through this fear of dying. Now, all these things are good, and I'm not opposed to any of these things, so please don't take me the wrong way. As I gave you this list of things that you can do, all those things may assist you to a certain degree, but I think the best way to deal with a fear of death is how Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As a matter of fact, most funerals that I do, I will use this Verse. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Don't you love that verse? The death sting has been removed. It's been taken for us. There's no more victory in that sting. You know, I heard a pastor many years ago give this illustration that really drives home the fact that the stinger of death is no longer there for the believer. He was talking about a pastor who uh, had the unfortunate duty of burying his wife. And he did the funeral service, and uh, his wife uh, unfortunately died at a very young age. And uh, he was driving back from doing the service, 
and he had two young children in the car. And, and as they're driving back home, uh, somehow a bee got into that car. And of course, the, the children were petrified. Daddy, do something about that bee. It's going to sting us. And so dad did something about that bee, and, and he grabbed it with his bare hand, and he held it into his hand. And he held it for several minutes. And finally, he, he was going to open up his hand and release that bee. And the daughter said, no, daddy, please don't release the bee. It will sting us. And the dad says, well, you know, you have nothing to worry about because as I've been holding this bee in my hand, that bee has stung me. The stinger is in me. That bee cannot sting you because it's already stung me. That alleviated that fear for that little girl because she knew that death had no sting on her. That bee had lost a sting. You see, the sting of death is sin. When we overcome sin through the power of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ, we can say like Paul, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to know, sin is not the boss of you anymore. You don't have to fear death because you have a new home. If you know Christ, death no longer has dominion over you. Your home will not be eternally separated from God. You will be with him forever in heaven. There's something else I think you got to know about sin not being the boss over you. You also have a new life. And we're going to go down to Romans chapter 6, down to verses 11 through 14, where Paul says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but you're under grace. Oh, I have a whole new life. I am reckoned myself dead to sin. I'm alive in God through Jesus Christ. My life really starts to begin to live when I have this relationship with Christ. I don't live any longer for sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. Oh, that's some good news. I want you to know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to be a slave of sin any longer. You can be victorious over sin. Paul put it to the Corinthian believers this way. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I keep saying I'm going to have these T-shirts printed up that say, this bod belongs to God. It does because the Holy Spirit takes up residence within my body. And when that happens, I have a whole new life. I have a whole new control center. I'm no longer controlled by the lust of the flesh. I'm no longer controlled by the instruments of my body that can fall into disobedience and unrighteousness. I am now controlled by the Spirit of God. I am alive in Christ. Oh, I died with him, so I have a new home, and I'm alive with him, so I have a new life. I no longer live for sin. Well, I hope that's some really good news for you today, realizing that you don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. So, sin, you're not the boss of me anymore, because I have a new home. I have a new life. And then number three, 
I also have a new owner. We're not to Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 18, where Paul says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that of whom you present your bodies slaves to, that's who you obey? You are the slaves to the one you obey, whether that sin is leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. I want you to know the last part of verse number 18 says, And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I have a new owner. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am now a slave to righteousness. That means I don't live for me any longer. I live for somebody else. Well, I hope you join me tomorrow as we go through part two of Sin, You're Not the Boss of Me. Thank you so much for joining me today in the broadcast. I want to invite you to come and worship with us. You're welcome any Sunday to join us. We do a 9 o'clock service and then a 1045 uh, service. We'd love to see you this Sunday. And I also want to talk to the men for just a second. Every second Saturday morning of the month, every second Saturday morning of the month, we have a men's breakfast, 7 a.m. at Hickory Ridge Community Church. Men, uh, call me if you need information about that, 252-267-2365. I'd love to invite you to our men's breakfast every month. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.